right. If we look in our Bibles this morning in this psalm, this psalm is uh, a psalm that does not identify uh, even by man's titling and the best that we can devise. The author most believe it to be a psalm of David. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the five psalms that are following are uh, psalms that are believed to have been sung in conjunction with this psalm. Uh, it is a psalm of praise. This is kind of a natural time of the year to uh, be thinking about being thankful and praising God. Uh, and uh, praise of God is just the natural expression of a grateful heart to what God has done, who God is in our lives. Uh, and certainly as Thanksgiving approaches here in just a short while, uh, it is appropriate to turn our attention to these types of thoughts. And so this psalm uh, was used every Sabbath. It was not a psalm that was just used sporadically. It was used weekly. Uh, it is believed to have been sung uh, at the beginning of the day, at the early drink offering, right before the sacrifice of the first lamb of the day. Uh, and so it was something that all Israelites were very familiar with. It was something that they thought uh, much of. It was also recited on the second day of Feast of Tabernacles annually uh, as part of the celebration of that particular feast. Um, in John Phillips' commentary, uh, he gives an outline for the praise of this psalm, and he, uh, he gives it thusly. I'm going to share with you just by way of introduction this morning his breakdown here uh, as we make our way through and get into get into the, the body of the message this morning. Uh, but it's a tremendous psalm. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing uh, praises unto thy name, O most high. And so we see right off the bat the excellence of his praise, the excellent uh, of praising God and how we uh, come to him and we come before him praising him. It's something that God demands of us. The praise is not a uh, mere suggestion. It is a uh, it is something that is should be done, that's rightful that it be done. And quite honestly, sometimes it's kind of hard for us to reconcile. Here's a God that says to us, I hate pride. Be humble, uh, and then he uh, and then he demands praise. It's almost like if you just read the surface and don't understand uh, the deeper meaning, that it seems like God does not want us. It's like it's sinful for us to uh, to to seek praise, but yet God seeks praise. Uh, the difference is is that God is worthy of praise, and we are not. Uh, and so uh, it makes just a little bit of difference to the context there. Uh, C.S. Lewis battled with this and struggled with this throughout his life. And one day he was uh, tells the story of walking through uh, the St. Paul's Cathedral and seeing a painting hanging on the wall that is entitled The Light of the World. And this painting has uh, an example of man's heart that is wrapped in vines and briars and, uh, and thickets and all kinds of hindrances to uh, receiving anything that's, that's good or right. And then it has a perfect Jesus brightly illuminated there standing at that corrupt heart of man. And he said, as I walked through the building and saw that painting, I noticed as I was approaching that the natural response of every person was to stop and to just look and marvel at the magnificent work of art that this was. And that's essentially what true praise is. It is not God saying, hey, look at me. 
I'm wonderful and I need to feed my ego off of your praise to me. Uh, but it is man looking and recognizing and being captivated by who and what God is and just naturally responding by stopping and paying homage and making uh, making sight, taking sight of what it is. <coughs> it is he put it, C.S. Lewis put it this way, to praise God is the intellect, uh, is the intellect, emotional, volitional thing for a creature to do when brought into the presence of one so glorious, so holy, so loving, so worthy of wonder and worship uh, as God. Not to praise him proves a lack in something to pray to praise him spontaneously and delightfully is proof that we are alive to all that he is. And so that is what praise is about. That is how God uh, works praise and expects praise from his people. It is simply that we are aware of his presence and we are aware of who and what he is. A person who has known Christ for a long time should have a lot more praise in their heart because we should have a far greater understanding of who and what he is. It should be the natural outflow of our life. And so there's the excellence of his praise. And then in verse 2, we see the exercise of praise. Uh, notice he says, "...to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning." and thy faithfulness every night. There are some commentators that believe that uh, that this psalm is, is to, should be used devotionally every day. It indicates uh, a natural beginning of the day with God and a natural closing of the day in giving thanks to God in all that he's done. Many times you read in the Psalms, David uh, giving praise or medit making mention of meditating in the night watch or in his bed as he laid and reflected on what God had done to start the day beginning. God, this is the day that you have given. This day belongs to you. This day I am here to serve you and to start every day intentionally in service of God and seeking his direction and his guidance uh, and then uh, to end it thanking him how he worked providentially through my life throughout that day uh, to accomplish his will in it committing my day uh, to his care and then meditating on his providence verse number three uh, we see the exuberance of praise uh, and the exuberance of praise is interesting. He says, upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. And we'll continue on here. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. And we're going to say more about that in just a moment. But now when we consider the exuberance of his praise, what are we talking about? It's talking about uh, when emotions get so full that they overflow. It has the connotation here uh, of a river bank that overflows. It cannot contain. It is a heart that uh, that that wells up. It is the the knowledge and the uh, of what God is doing in our hearts that uh, that comes in our uh, in us as we worship Him, and the emotions well up and overpower us until it cannot be contained. It must be expressed. It could be expressed with an amen. It could be expressed with a raised hand. It could be expressed with a holy clap. 
It can be expressed in a number of ways, but the, what he's talking about here and what the psalmist alludes to here about being planted in the king's court and praising and giving thanks and worship to God, he says, upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, it's overflowing. It is exploding out of me. I cannot contain the things that God has done for me and what God is doing in my heart. He put this way, Phillips in his commentary, put emotion uh, is too full for words and must be expressed in shout, clap, or song, excitement governed by meditation. In other words, this is not a losing of the mind and just going uh, crazy and falling down in a heap as some of the charismatic movement do, uh, having a laughing spell or some type of a fit. It is an acknowledgement and a response to who and what God is as he wells up within my heart and it must be expressed that is governed by the meditation uh, of what he is and his holiness and his righteousness uh, and his power. Uh, and I'm just saying this morning, uh, and, and he put it this way, the music is only the vehicle, the meditation, the words are the important thing. Let us never become flippant or irreverent in our emotional excitement. It is only a short step from uncontrolled bliss to blasphemy. And what I'm saying here is that it's completely appropriate and right to express emotion as it wells up in us as we face who God is. Uh, you'll and I, I'm hoping that we're kind of getting that message. There's uh, there's a little bit more of this going on, and that's a good thing. Uh, there's there is a difference in applauding a performance and not being able to contain what God is doing in my heart that must birth forth and be expressed with a clap. They clap their hands in the Bible. It's not a bad thing. It's bad if you're if you're applauding performance. If you're expressing what God is doing in your heart, it's a good thing. Saying amen, saying hallelujah, raising a hand. Those are good things. Those are expressions. That's what the psalmist is referring to here when he says that I'm going to praise God. I cannot contain. I must birth forth into song. I must pull out an instrument. I must let out an amen. I must let out a hallelujah. God is doing too much in my heart. God has done too much in my life. And I've seen too much of him to be able to contain it. And we could use a good dose of God to the point that we've got so much Jesus coming into us that we can no longer contain him. I promise you that there's a lot more of him than the human soul can contain. What's wrong with us that we can't get enough that he would fill up our little small vessel to the point that it would overflow? in his vastness and in his greatness and in his power and in his might, have we seen so little of God that we've got nothing to express? The exuberance of praise. Uh, we see as we continue in verses 4 and 5, the exhaustlessness of praise. We can never run out of things to praise God for. And sometimes we come and, and it's like, okay, well, I praise the Lord uh, I've done my duty. No, when we are captivated by who and what he is, we cannot stop praising. For thou, O Lord, in verse 4 and 5, has made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. Someone that once was praising him would think about 
this context and uh, begin to look at how much God has done and how uh, great God uh, has uh, done them in creation and beyond. And, uh, and for example, for thou, O Lord, hast made me glad. The earth rotates at about 1,000 miles per hour. If it turned at 100 miles per hour, our days and nights would be 10 times as long as they are. The sun would burn up all vegetation in the daytime and the frost would kill anything that remained at night. If the sun were twice as hot as it is, or half as hot as it is, the earth would be a red hot cinder or else a sphere of eternal ice. Suppose the earth were much closer to the sun than it is or much farther away. Again, life would be impossible because of the forbidding temperature. The proportion of sea to land is about three-fourths sea to 25% land. If the proportion had been reversed, there would be neither sufficient evaporation or rainfall and the world would become a desert. Now, we could go on and on with those types of, of pictures and uh, looking, but the thought that this happened by accident is inconceivable to anyone who is reasonable in their thought process. There's no way that things that have to be so exact and so precise happened by, nature, by, by accident, happened by an explosion in space somewhere, uh, just came by happenstance. And so, uh, listen, my point is simply this, that there is no end of things for which the human heart should find to praise God. Amen. That God is great and God is powerful. And we see the exhaustlessness of his praise, the works of his hands, the things that he has planned for your life, for this church, for every believer, for all of creation. It is not here. It is the work of his hands. Thy thoughts are very deep, the psalmist writes. He is a wonderful and amazing God. We see uh, in verses 6 and 7 the exception to praise. The exception to praise. Notice what he says here. He says, a brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, uh, it is they that shall be destroyed forever. In 1979, Albert Einstein sat down for an interview with a rabbi. It was published in the February 1979 issue and recorded on page 76 of the magazine. Albert Einstein is largely thought to be one of the most brilliant minds that have ever graced the planet. He gave us essentially the atomic bomb. He, uh, he took complex theories and reduced them to single mathematical equations. At one point, the, the theory of relativity being reduced to a simple equation, at least what looked simple on paper, it was still very complex. It is said and was said at the time uh, that there were only three minds in the world that could understand it. That was expressed to one of those three minds, and he said, I'm struggling to think who the third is. And what I'm saying this morning is that, uh, that God uh, is great and wonderful, but sometimes the most brilliant of minds in the eyes of men fail to see the simplest truth of God. Einstein in this article was asked by this rabbi if he believed in God. And he answered this, I believe in Spinoza's God who reveals himself in the, in the orderly harmony of all that exists. 
not in the God who concerns himself with the, affair, with the affairs and the actions of human kindness or human beings. The brilliant mind could understand that it took a creator. It, didn't, it wasn't happenstance. But could not accept that it was a personal God that cared about his individual soul. And what I'm saying this morning, there is an exception to praise. That one who will not see all that God is. That one who will not see who Jesus is. That one who will not open his heart and experience the Holy Spirit's indwelling in it. That person uh, is an exception to praise. Then we see it, the explosion of praise. Notice in most of these verses, there's a two-part statement to almost everything that we've looked at here. But for this he only needed one statement. It goes back to the earlier point about expressing and overflowing. He says in verse 8, But thou, O Lord, art most high forevermore. Stop and think about it in its context here. Uh, a brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever, but thou, Lord, art most high forever. He is the great and mighty God, the explosion of praise. Oh, that we would come to the point where we experience God in such a real way that as we sat in devotion, as we sat in prayer, as we stand in praise, as we sing uh, what God has done for us, as we experience his moving in us, that we would get to the point where Jesus bubbled up in our soul so greatly that we burst forth crying out, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great redeemer's praise the glories of my god and king and the triumph of his grace one tongue is not enough to proclaim the greatness of god Amen. if we would just experience him so we look and consider the exception of praise the explosion of praise and we see the expectation of praise in verses 9 through 11 for lo thine enemies O lord for lo thine enemies shall perish all the workers of iniquity shall be scattered, but my horn shalt thou exult like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and my ears shall hear my desire of the hear my desire of the wicked rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. What we see here is this expectation of praise. God's ultimate triumph in the world and in my heart. God's ultimate triumph in all that he set in motion. God uh, working and doing everything uh, that he expected it to be. And what we see here as praise comes forth and as praise bursts forth that praise is meant and fitted. And Endicott's commentary on this psalm, he says, praises men and fitted, uh, therefore fitted and therefore designed to be the most delightful part of worship. In prayer, we gird on our armor, lay bare our weakness, take hold on God's strength to save us. Uh, the word uh, read and preached gives us manna from the skies and water from the rock, but also smites us the two-edged sword and at time lays us in dust. 
But praise gives us wings and lifts us into the sunshine of God's countenance within sight of the pearly gates and the jasper walls within hearing of the new song before the throne. It is that part of earthly worship which we come in which we come nearest to the worship of heaven. Praising our Savior. The expectation of that praise, and then we see the expression of praise in verses 12 through 15. And these verses, in essence, this morning really are the message. Verses 12, verse 12, he begins, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. To show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The expression of praise. That which manifests praise in our life or which praise manifests in our life. So if I am living for the Lord, if I'm praising God, if I acknowledge his greatness, if I understand who he is, if my heart is open to him, it's going to produce a change in my life. I cannot experience God in such a way and remain unchanged. It will impact my life. And so practically applying this this morning, what does that mean? How does that look in my life? How does it uh, mean? And I'm talking this morning about being planted in the king's court, in the presence of God, under his authority and leadership. And I would say, first of all, this morning, that praise proceeds from the planted. Praise proceeds from the planted. The, the lost man does not have the capacity to appropriately praise God, nor can he effectively worship God. When we gather here on Sundays, we, we come together and praise the Lord for folks that come in that need to be saved, that need to know that Jesus is our Savior, and, uh, and we're excited when they come. But the reality is, is that when we gather here, we gather here as a body of believers to worship our God. And we must be planted in the king's court. Being planted in the king's court begins with being planted in Christ. With recognizing when I see God in his righteousness and in his holiness, what it reveals to me is my utter ineptitude to save myself. My complete and total lack of ability to find righteousness, to find forgiveness, to find restoration. I cannot do that on my own. Only God can do that in my heart. And when God speaks to my heart, and when I begin to seek truth, and when the Spirit of God begins to draw me, and when I begin to see who He is, and when I fall down humbly before Him, repentant of my sin, and sorry for my sin, seeking the forgiveness of the Holy One, then He grants me eternal life. And when I express my faith in Him, and put my trust in Him, and, give, and find His forgiveness, and He births me into the family of God, I'm planted in Christ. But there are a lot of Christians that are planted in Christ that are never planted in his court. There are a lot of people that know that Jesus is their Savior but have never fully learned of who he is or, uh, or embraced all that he has for them. To be planted in his court means that I'm putting myself in the care of the gardener. I'm placing myself under the care of the one who is, who is in control. I'm placing myself under the authority and the guidance of the king. I'm planted in his court. So, Pastor, what does that look like in my life? Well, part of it's being planted where he tells us to be. The church ought not assemble with its members not coming to the assembly. 
that it ought to be a, just a, a given in my life. If I'm going to be planted in his court, uh, my life is going to revolve around his, this, his assembly, the assembly in which he's planted me. Why? Well, I want to be planted in the king's court. I want to be under his care. I want to be under his guidance. I want to be uh, uh, submitted to his authority. And, uh, and what we're talking about here is just four primary things when we talk about uh, being planted in his court uh, and things that the church does for us, not the church as in this church because uh, pastor says so, but because the, ch the church of the New Testament that Jesus gave us, <coughs> of which we are a part, uh, as we stand, as we come together, and worship him. Why is the church so important? Why does Jesus put so much emphasis on it throughout the New Testament? And the first reason is because it's a cultivating place. I am planted in the king's court. It is like I'm, I'm a plant or a shrub or a tree or a flower in the garden of God around his compound, around his palace, and I am under his care. The, listen, but we come together here to worship God together, but this is meant to be a cultivating place. It is a place where, as we as we uh, gave the the quote from Endicott about uh, about praise uh, and about sometimes uh, be the word of God smiting us like a two-edged sword, and that's what it does. It brings conviction. Sometimes my heart and my life needs some pruning, and sometimes uh, it needs some uh, uh, it needs some encouragement, and sometimes it needs some rebuke. God knows that. And God gave us his church and he says, listen, I want you to be established because it's a cultivating place. It's a place where you can be cultivated and where you can be, uh, where you can be cared for and where, uh, where the soil can be loosened and where it can be fertilized and where all that you need to flourish can be assisted. Secondly, I would say that it's a fertilized place. If you have shrubbery or garden if you have plants in your home that you uh, ladies want to care for and have uh, growing and uh, if you want them to flourish you know that every so often they need some fertilizing when it comes this time of the year uh, it's good to put out winterizer uh, on the lawn in the spring we put out uh, fertilizer because we want to kill the weeds and we want to get rid of that which is unhealthy and we want to build that which is healthy we want things to look nice when uh, people approach our homes or approach the, uh, the church facility we want uh, things to be as good as they can uh, for what God has given us and what I'm saying is is that this is not a, a place where we come together just because it's convenient and uh, okay God I need to worship so I choose here. No, we're here because God led us here. We're here because God guided us here. We're here because it's God's will for us to be here together in this place, worshiping our Savior. Why? Because it's a cultivating place, because it's a fertilizing place. Thirdly, I would say, because it's a nurturing place. We need nurturing. Hey, listen, especially a brand new believer needs nurturing. A brand new baby must be nurtured. Our children must be nurtured. And new Christians, new believers, people that have been maybe even saved a long time but have never really grown in the Lord need nurturing. We need to be in an environment uh, where the Holy Spirit can come and say, well, Pastor, they can do that in my home. And he should be doing that in your home and your personal walk with him. But he told us to be faithful to a church for a reason. To be planted in the king's court. Why? Because I need to be nurtured. We need the encouragement. We need the kind word. We need to know that even in rebuke, it's given out of love. And even in correction, it's given to guide. It's not malicious and it's not, uh, it's not 
uh, meant in a, uh, in a, in a uh, hurtful way. It is simply to be nurtured and to be welled up, to be fed and to be cared for and to be encouraged uh, so that we live lives in which God and His Holy Spirit are taking control and we are doing His will and we are moving forward together for the cause of Christ. Planted in the king's court, it's a cultivating place, it's a fertilized place, it's a nurturing place, and it's a growing place. We should be growing. Hey, listen, if you uh, are seeing God for who he is and you are worshiping God in your private life at home and uh, and if you are coming to a place uh, where God has established you and you are hearing the word of God preached and you're part of a class and where you've got fellowship and you've got instruction and you've got uh, help and you're involved in ministry, it is a place where we come where we are growing together in the grace of God. That's what the church is to be. Praise God proceeds from the planted the lost man cannot do this the lost man cannot abide this the lost man cannot function in this environment why because it's not a place where he belongs it's not a place uh, where he's going to feel like he fits in it is a place where he'll be accepted and welcomed and loved and uh, the truth will be given but the reality is is that i'm never really going to belong until jesus is my savior Praise proceeds from the planted. Secondly, this morning we see that praise purposes the planted. Praise purposes the planted. It gives us guidance. Notice that he gives the analogy here of the palm and the cedar. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat in flourishing verse 12 he said the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree and he shall grow like the cedar in lebanon do you realize that in a desert a palm tree is a very tall plant and trees by their own nature can vary greatly in their height and where they are at and what the contrast of the landscape around them is uh, impacts the how they are viewed and a palm tree in the middle of a desert uh, or at a beach that is uh, that is uh, nothing around it uh, structure-wise or mountain-wise or things of that nature is extremely tall. It gives great guidance. It can be seen from afar. Imagine yourself a nomad in the desert and coming upon an oasis and you've not had water for a considerable part of your journey and you look off in the distance and you see that palm tree. Imagine the guidance that it's given you. This is the direction that I need to go. This is, the, uh, this is what's going to draw me. This is what's going to cause me to put one foot in front of the other. And I'm saying this morning that praise gives us guidance. Why? Because praise keeps me focused on Jesus. It keeps me focused on who he is and not what I'm not. It keeps my attention on him and not self. And the palm tree uh, is is an incredible tree. It has a deep tap. And the next point is going to tie into this as well. So I'm just going to give you some thoughts. And we're going to touch back and forth on these as we go through this second and third point of the message this morning. The palm tree has a deep tap and it grows tall. And in this part of the world, it produced multiple types of fruit. There wasn't just that it had a coconut. Some produced dates and others produced different different types of fruit. Uh, And the people of this area lived off of this palm tree. It was a 
crucial part of uh, everything that they did and they were. They would strip down the bark and its fiber to make even rope and things of that nature and uh, and fabrics and find fibers and to, to thatch roofs and to do different things of that matter. They would eat of its, uh, of its fruit. They would take its leaves and they would help with shelter and use it for other uh, things in their life. They would take uh, the, uh, the, as they stripped the bark down to get to the core of the wood, ultimately uh, when all of the other uses of it were satisfied it was fuel it was a great guide to them it was very important to their culture the cedar trees in lebanon the uh, the the palm uh, its tap went deep to tap the water that was deep in the ground so that it could survive in the harsh climate of the desert the cedar of lebanon its roots spread out find ways to grab hold of the rock of the high mountains. Both trees are evergreen. They're ever showing life. They're always showing what Jesus would have us to think of when we see him and what we should show to the world around us. They are uh, trees that give uh, off that, uh, that hope of a water source and a food source, and a guide source. We see this morning that praise purposes the planted by giving us guidance. Secondly, by giving us hope. Uh, praise gives us help. And we talk about the use of the trees. We talk about how we can take that, uh, that bark. And you think about the beauty of that palm tree standing majestically. And you think about uh, the beauty of that cedar tree that stands and is, uh, has a, a, a deep, texture in its grain and has a, an amazing aroma uh, that's incorruptible. It cannot be. Uh, why do we build uh, cedar chests to keep important things in? Why uh, do we use cedars to, uh, to be used as posts in the corners of our pasture to stretch the, uh, the, the barbed wire and things out? Because it doesn't rot so easily. Because it's immune to the bugs. It doesn't draw them. It has a beautiful grain to the wood. It's the life of the Christian. The Christian to the lost should be that palm or that cedar. There should be some depth. There should be uh, us drawn to a Savior that, uh, in which we become incorruptible because we are under his guidance and control. He gives us help. Praise gives us help. Praise gives us nourishment. We're rooted in Christ. Planted in the king's court. Listen, when I'm planted in his court, I'm rooted. When I'm planted, uh, I'm, I'm cared for, I'm nurtured. When I'm planted, I'm pruned as needed. When I'm planted, I'm giving hope to those around me. And praise purposes the planted, gives me purpose for my life, gives me purpose and direction for my service. Thirdly, I would say that praise produces in the planted. Praise produces in the planted listen my spirit and my heart of praise to god is what leads to the production of fruit in my life a sour christian a griping christian a fault-finding christian a uh, a bitter christian an unforgiving christian will never be a christian in which god can produce and bear fruit 
Why? Because we're too focused on ourselves and too busy wallowing in our sin to stop and to look at the beauty, the majesty, and the perfection of all that God is. And when I get a good glimpse of Him, all that I am and all of my problems and all of your problems and all of uh, my attacks on you and your attacks on me and however it may crisscross across a congregation, a city, or a, uh, or a movement, however all of that unfolds itself, I'm just saying that when we get our eyes off of our own pettiness and get and seek God for all and who that he is then that the natural response will be praising who and what God is and the natural response of that is going to be the production of fruit in my life I cannot see him for who he is and remain the way that I am so pastor what are you saying this morning I'm saying that if you're a person that all you can do is walk in the doors of Victory Baptist Church and try to pick apart everything that you think is wrong and try to stir a problem or cause a problem I'm not talking about addressing legitimate issues I'm talking about a griping critical bickering backbiting spirit uh, if you're someone that is so overwrought with bitterness that you just cannot even enjoy worshiping God that you cannot even find it in yourself to go out and serve God and that is what drives and motivates your life it's the reason you get up in the morning. If you cannot forgive, if you're overwhelmed with bitterness, if you're overwhelmed with whatever sin dominates your life. And listen, we've all got sin in our life, but not everybody's dominated by sin in their life. When we get to that point where we're so impacted and we're so dominated, Pastor, what's the cure? What's my cure? How can I get over this? And I'm just going to tell you real simple this morning that the only thing that you need to do is just get a good glimpse of who Jesus is. Because when I see him, I'll crumble before him. When I see him, those things that bother me so much become trivial. When I see him and my focus is on him, then I see the silliness and the selfishness of my problems. And I'm just saying this morning that praise produces in the planted it produces the palm and evergreen, draws water from the depths. There's a man that was traveling and he was up into his 90s and he gave testimony of a palm tree uh, that he had been known of and that his family had been around that was still producing fruit after 200 years. You know what pastors hear a lot? Ministry. Oh, pastor. I used to be a part of that ministry and I used to be a part of that ministry and I used to be a part of this ministry. I used to do this to serve God and I used to do that to serve God. Well, when I'm planted in the king's court, old age is no excuse to not produce fruit. I don't want to produce fruit for the time and the years that I have the strength and the stamina to preach and to pastor. I want to produce fruit till the day he calls me home. Bible says we'll be fat and flourishing. I've got the fat part covered. I'm going to work on the flourishing part. And I'm saying if, if you want to be the kind of Christian that's not here today and gone tomorrow, if you want to be the kind of Christian that can look down the road and say, hey, uh, I'm still serving God into my twilight years, into the last parts of my life. I've still got God's joy and I still have God's power. And I understand that in our older age, we may not be able to get out and bang on doors in the heat and canvas doors in uh, an extreme. I, I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the attitude that says that I've served my time 
and it's time for somebody else to do it so I can just sit back and come in and sing praises to God and do nothing. Are we producing in prayer? Are we willing to pray? Are we willing uh, to support? Are we willing to be an encouragement? Listen, it doesn't take a lot of strength and stamina to sit down across somebody at a table with a Bible uh, and, a, uh, and a continue book to disciple them for the cause of Christ over a meal or coffee. You can do that in the heat and in the air conditioning. There are a lot of things that we think that we can't do that we can do, and we need to be fruit bearers into our Departure from this earth. The palm draws that water from the depth. The cedar flourishing in the harsh environments of the upper mountains and the rock and the lack of soil and, uh, and, and having that distinct fragrance that, uh, that shows the others the sweetness of Christ, the aroma of Christ in our life. And it's incorruptible and richly grained wood showing the strength of character uh, that Christ develops in the heart of those that are produced, uh, that produces in those that are planted in his court. That's what the Christian life should be defined as and known as, what your life and my life should be described as. Listen, if you're a new Christian this morning, you need to hunker down and you need to decide, I'm going to be planted in the king's court because I want my life to make an impact in the world around me. I want my life to matter. I want to live it for something that's bigger than I I am. I want to live it for something that's more important than I am. I want my life to impact others for the cause of Christ. And along the way, you're going to get pruned. And along the way, you're going to be nurtured. And along the way, you're going to be cared for. And along the way, you're going to find purpose and direction and guidance through the ministry of the church that God has planted you in. And it is your direction guides your life until we come to a place where what we portray and what others sense when they're around us is not the sourness of bitterness and anger anger and unforgiveness but the sweetness of the aroma of the cedar and the character of the grain of the rich wood that has been developed in us as we're under the care of the gardener he is the gardener we're just servants in the journey together praise produces in the planted praise purposes the planted praise proceeds from the planted and lastly this morning we see that praise proclaims the planter praise proclaims the planter Far many, too many times we get into a world where uh, it's like, look at what this church has done or look at what this teacher has done or look at what this pastor has done. Look at what this name has accomplished for Christ. And the reality is, is that genuine, honest praise points people to Jesus. In my life, in your life, in the ministry of Victory Baptist Church, in the ministry of every class in it should be pointing people to the praise of a Savior who is the one who gives life, who is the one that cares for us. It's Jesus that does the planting. We just sow the seed. And we go out sowing seed. It's Jesus that does the planting. I go out in my yard. I've got probably, I might get away with not mowing it again this year, but I generally mow it one more time right around Thanksgiving just before my wife makes me climb the ladder and put out the Christmas lights. <coughs> I'm afraid that that chore is upon me probably this week sometime. I like it when it's done. It's just a chore to get it done. But when I go out in the heat of the summer and I look around, and I can look underneath these live oak trees, the two that are in my front yard, and I can look at the little uh, area of grass around them, and I, I know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a bunch of little baby trees popping up that have got to be whacked down. They look a little bit like 
a weed if I get them early enough, but they really start to, you could tell, if I really wanted another tree, I could just dig this thing out and put it in a pot and give it a little care and it'll, it's going to grow. I didn't plant it. For that matter, I didn't even sow that one. God sowed it whenever the acorns fell. My point is this, is that we're just seed sowers. God's the planter. My, my job is not to go out and beat people over the head and drag them into the church. My job is to sow the seed. Your job is to sow the seed. But it's also our job to emanate such a sweet aroma from our lives that, that people want to be drawn. I walked in our room this morning and my wife made me stop at Bath and Body Works yesterday. If you ever want to have a humbling experience, Brother Frankie, go into Bath and Body Works. You can carry Regina's purse if you like, but I'm not going to carry my wife's purse in a store like that. And they had a big sale on. Somebody somebody told her about the sale. I wish you ladies would stop doing that and stop telling her about these sales. But I walked in this morning, she had put this new lotion on, and the whole room smelled like this lotion, and, and it just smelled really good, clean, fresh. It was wonderful. It's the way Christians ought to be. I remember when I was at the voice home about twice a year, there was a guy that actually the pastor had bought the property, the 90 acres that the voice home sat on. He had bought uh, the, the property from the county commissioner of that county in Tennessee, and it was his property still where his house was, was adjacent, and it was up on this big hill, and he had a massive hay field all the way around it. And he'd cut that hay, and twice a year after a cutting, he would bring in truckloads of chicken manure for about a week and a half. We were gasping for air everywhere that we went. I'm just telling you this morning, too many Christians give off the aroma of manure and not enough Christians give off the, the aroma of the cedar. Now, I don't mean that to be ugly. I mean it to be a little bit humorous, but it's still the truth kind of an aroma am I giving off? And, and honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, I think that we'd all have to admit that there are times when we give off both. And if we are giving off just one, it's not the one that we want to give off. If we're so dominated that we always give off the same aroma, it's usually not a good one. And I'm just saying this morning, Brother Wayne, it's hard to praise God when I've got a stinky attitude. And if I praise God, well, Pastor, I don't feel like praising God. Well, look at him. Just look at him. If I don't feel like praising God, the bottom line is that I haven't spent enough time with him. Because just spending time in the king's court, just spending time in his presence is going to cause my focus to be drawn to him. And when I really see him, the natural outflow, the explosion out of me is going to be praise. Those of us that are too busy to come back to a Sunday evening service, Pastor, I want to be planted, but I only want to be planted on Sunday morning. I want God to give me great blessing and power, but I don't want everything that God's got to me. I'm not trying to be ugly this morning, but what is it that you really have to do that's so important that you can't come and get 
fed by the word of God and encouraged and nourished by his by the presence of his people uh, and focusing on uh, because the reality is is I don't think that there's anybody in here that's going to go to bed by 6:30 tonight I know we got people that get up and go a long way to work brother Fred brother Fred will be here tonight whether he was going to be or not he will be now <laughs> he's generally here on Sunday night brother Fred's going to get up in the morning probably at about four and he's going to drive all the way to Sugarland for work and he's been doing that for about three or four years and yet he's still here on Sunday night and he's still here most of the time on Wednesday night unless he just gets bogged down in traffic and can't get here. And by the way, he's not driving from here to Sugarland. He's driving from out on Trinity Bay to Sugarland. But he's planted in the King's Court. And most of the time, he gives off the aroma of the cedar. Miss Dinah tells me about the other times. <laughs> what I'm saying this morning is that being where God has put us to be, failing not to assemble ourselves together, being in the presence of God, what do we really have to do that's so pressing, that's so important, that it's more important than coming together and worshiping God? That it's more important than serving God? That it's more important than impacting lives for Christ? Well, pastor, i got to get kids up early for school, and I've got to do this, and I've got to pack lunch, and I've got to do that. I, I get it. I understand. But the reality is, is that you're probably going to sit up until about 11 o'clock tonight watching TV anyway. Is that really so important? I mean, you DVR things when you got to go to work that you want to watch. Why can't I DVR those things that are during church? That's what we do at our house. There's something that we just want to do or see. We just save it for later. But God's first. And I'm not trying to be unkind this morning. I'm just trying to help us to stop and to consider what is it really that's so important that makes a Sunday night and a Wednesday night so impossible. Notice our text. These that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Here's a real question. Do I really want to flourish in my Christian life? Do I really want to flourish? I can't get enough of Jesus. I can't get enough Bible. I'm not saying this morning that we ought to be assembling every night of the week. I'm not saying that. I know we need time for family. We need time uh, to rest. Jesus came apart and rested. But when he's called me to a place I should be, present in my place when something's going on planted in the king's court that i might flourish jesus does the planting it's jesus that does the producing not one person here ever produce any fruit for god you're just a branch i'm just a branch he's the vine the holy spirit if you will is the sap that brings life and the natural result of a healthy branch attached to its vine with the sap of the Holy Spirit flowing through is the production of fruit. What kind of fruit is your life producing this morning? Jesus this morning, I'm saying, is this, worthy of our praise, worthy of our service, worthy of our sacrifice of time, worthy of our being planted in his court 
There's nothing in this life that's more important than Jesus. Will I give him his place this morning? Will I praise him? Will I see him for who and what he is? Because praise is the natural response to his splendor. To remain in awe of all he is will guide me to become all that he created me to be. I go back to C.S. Lewis walking through St. Peter's Cathedral. Seeing people stopping and gazing at a picture. Wondering, God, how is it that you need the praise of something so corruptible as me? And coming to realize, as he looked at something so awe-inspiring, something so beautiful, God, looking to untangle the sin that blocks man's heart to him, that you just can't help but stop and stare because of its beauty and its majesty. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful sacrifice that he's made for us. Do we love him? Will we praise him? Will we stop long enough to look and see who and what he is? Because if we will, we'll be willing to stand in line to be planted in the king's court. And when we're planted, 